Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. So um, we've been busy looking at um, Paul's letter to the Colossians. And um, just two, two things I want us to to notice, I'm, I'm going to be looking at verses 6 to 8 mostly this morning. Um, just two things I want to remind us of. Um, remember that as you listen, you're not just receiving, as you listen to the Lord's word, you're not just receiving a message, you're also receiving a method. Hopefully, um, the, the idea is that, that all of us are disciples of Jesus Christ, and part of that is that all of us must learn to read Scripture well. All of us must learn to interpret Scripture for ourselves and apply Scripture in our own lives. Um, so I hope that as you listen, you're not just listening for the message, but also for the method, and that you're learning um, implicitly how to interpret Scripture for yourself, read Scripture better, because all of us can learn to, to read and apply Scripture better in our lives. That's the one thing. Then the other thing is, you'll notice that a lot of um, what we're going to look at um, today, and, and I hope you've seen it throughout um, the, the first two messages in the series, that Paul focuses a lot on the gospel in Colossians. It's all about the gospel and how to apply the gospel in all of life. Okay, And um, the, the problem is many of us, when we hear the word gospel, we think, okay, I've got that down. I've sort of got that um, down pat. I've, I understand the gospel. I know the gospel. Um, and then we sort of tune out and switch out because we think that the gospel is just for people who don't believe so that they can become believers, so that they can enter the kingdom of God. But Paul talks here and he writes a whole letter all about the gospel to a church that has already received the gospel and that has already been saved by it. So why does he then focus so intensely on the gospel to people who are already Christians? And the answer is, of course, that the gospel is not just for non-believers so that they can become believers, so they can be justified and be born again. The gospel is also for believers. The way that we grow as believers is through the gospel, right? Um, and, yeah, I just, I just want to encourage you to receive as much as possible. Open up your heart and um, don't just receive from me, but try and receive from the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will hopefully use me to say certain things, but also say certain things to you that, um, you know, through, through the word, as you're just listening, he's going he's gonna to minister to your heart and be open to that, to receive. And, and here's the important part, to respond to everything that the Holy Spirit shows you and teaches you. Let's, let's set that as our goal, that we're really going to respond to what the Lord says to us. So, um, here's... If I had to sum up what I want to say and, and what I think Paul, through, through his letters, is saying to the Colossians and to us today, is if, because he talks about bearing fruit and the gospel that is bearing fruit. And, and what he says is that if we truly understand the true gospel, we will bear fruit. If we truly understand the true gospel, we will bear fruit. So let's just read uh, Colossians 1 from this uh, 1 to 8. It says, Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since 
we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf or on our behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And Lord Holy Spirit, we pray that you'll minister this text to us, Lord God, and really encourage us and help us to apply it and live it, to respond to it. Lord, just like the Colossians heard and truly understood your grace, we pray that we will hear and truly understand, that we will learn the gospel just as they learned it from Epaphras in Jesus' name. Amen. So, just the first thing I want to look at is how the gospel came to them. Now, now just think about this. Um, Paul uses, he almost personifies the gospel here. It's not like... Just you heard the gospel as though you have the agency. The gospel is just a message and you hear it. He says the gospel has come to you. It's it's almost as if he personifies the gospel, as if he makes the, the gospel an active agent that seeks you out and comes to you. It's like it's almost like the gospel is God's spiritual heat seeking missile <laughs> that he fires at you and then it comes to you and it hits you. <laughs> okay? Um but how do you know the gospel has come to you? Now, how did the gospel come to them? Uh, it says that the gospel came to them through Epaphras. Now, if you can just um, bring up that uh, map, um, Epaphras lived in Colossae. We, we, as we read on in, in, in the letter of Colossians, we, we hear, he talks about Epaphras as one of you. Um, and he lived in Colossae, uh, and Paul never came to Colossae. In, in, in Colossians 2 verse 1, it says that, uh, he says that he's, he's never seen the Colossians or the Laodiceans, which is just next door to Colossae. Um, he's, he's never seen them face to face. So he never came to Colossae. But he planted a church, a major church in Ephesus, which was um, you know, probably along with um, Alexandria and maybe Thessalonica and places like those, probably the second biggest city in Rome, just after Rome. Rome was the biggest, and then there were a few others like Corinth and, and Ephesus and so on that were like the second biggest places. And Paul planted a church there, and, and he spent an unusually long amount of time there. Let's actually just read that in, in, um, in, uh, um, in Acts chapter 19. Let me just read that for you. Let me just open up my slides. Because Paul... He, he did many missionary journeys, and usually he wouldn't spend particularly long in a, in a single place. You know, he'd, he'd plant a church and then he'd move on. So he'd spend a couple of weeks or, or months there. Um, but it says here in, in Acts 19, verse 1 says, Paul passed through the inland country uh, and came to Ephesus. And then in verse 8 it says, and he entered the synagogue. This is after a couple of people got got saved there. He entered the synagogue and for three months 
spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some, that some in the synagogue, became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way, which is what Christianity was known as in those days, before the congregation of the synagogue, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So, so Paul spent a, a large amount of time, more than two years in Ephesus, planting the church and then growing the church and establishing it as a major base church from which you could plant other churches. And, you know, it was, it was not uncommon for the people inland to go to the major coastal cities because that's where the the ships would come and dock and all the trading goods would be spread and, and there'd be big markets. So there'd be massive markets in these uh, coastal cities. So clearly Epaphras was one of the guys who came from Colossae. He came to the market and there was Paul in the market talking about Jesus and Paul and, and, and his disciples sharing their testimonies, sharing the gospel. And Tyrannus didn't just receive the goods that he went to the market to buy, he received something more. He received the gospel. The gospel came to him. He heard this. He started listening. Maybe he started attending the services, and the gospel came to him and changed his life. And, and I don't know what happened. Maybe he decided, okay, I'm, I'll go home and take my goods back to my family, but then I'm coming back to Ephesus. I'm going to sit at Paul's feet. I'm going to learn from him. And he clearly got trained by Paul and he learned the gospel from Paul. And then from there, at some other stage, we don't, that was probably in the early 60s when, 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 when this um, happened. Paul, um, uh, well, no, sorry, if it, uh, what's his name? Uh, Colossians, the letter was written in the early 60s. So somewhere in the 50s was where Paul established the, the, the Ephesian church. And I mean, you all know when the gospel comes to you. I mean, when Paul says the gospel came to you, he means it in a specific way because it's more people than just the actual people in the church in Colossae who heard the gospel. But he doesn't say the gospel came to all the people in Colossae. He says the gospel came to you. So the gospel doesn't come to you just when you hear it. It comes to you when you truly understand it, when you learn it, and when it changes your life. And we all know what happens the first time that happens. It's like a, a thunderbolt hitting you, you know, a lightning bolt hitting you, and, and your life changes, and you're so excited about it, you, you just want to tell everyone about it. And I'm sure Paul had to tell Epaphras. Epaphras probably wanted to go, and Paul said, no, no, hang on, hang on. You still need to learn a bit. Just sit still, learn some more. And then eventually he said, okay, now, now you can go. Go to Colossae, go and share, go and teach what you have learned, go and share what you've received. Um, and, and he went and, and he planted, he took the gospel, he planted the gospel as a seed in Colossae, and a church grew up from that gospel seed. A church in, in, in Colossae. Um, so, that's how the Colossians received, how the gospel came 
um, to the Colossian Christians. It came through, through uh, Epaphras bringing the gospel to them. Epaphras being, having the gospel planted in his heart and then ha- bringing the gospel to them. Now, part of our vision, our vision as Shofar is reaching nations and generations through disciple-making, leadership development, and church planting. I hope that you can see here that process here. Because Epaphras was reached by Paul. He was discipled by Paul. And how did Paul disciple him? By teaching him the gospel. How did Paul raise him up as a leader? By teaching him the gospel well enough so that he could teach others the gospel. How did Paul train him to plant a church? By teaching him to plant the gospel in a different city. And in the lives of of the people of those cities. So so in other words, how, how do you plant a church? By planting the gospel. The gospel is the seed from which churches grow up. Isn't that so? So in order to fulfill our vision of ultimately planting churches, we need to, like Epaphras, learn the gospel and learn how to plant the gospel. So it it has important um, implications for us. And then just notice something here about the language. It says you learned it from Epaphras from the day you heard the gospel and truly understood God's grace. Notice he doesn't... He speaks, Paul speaks of the gospel totally from the recipient's point of view. Not from the teacher's point of view, but from the learner's point of view. So whenever we present the gospel, the important thing is not that I teach the gospel, but that you learn the gospel. And and, and you might say, but that's the same thing. It's just two sides of the same coin. Yes, it is just two sides of the same coin, but it's actually very important. The aim... Of all teaching, of all good teaching, is not that the teacher has taught, but that the student has learned. Okay? And we should also have that approach. We should say, how can our children, how can our, uh, the people in our small group, how can anyone that we share with, how can they learn? How will they best learn? Not how can I best teach, and I feel good about myself when I've said everything I feel I need to say, but how can I say it in a way that they can best receive and respond to. Part of the gospel is that, I mean, when Jesus came to earth, he, came, he was born into the Jewish culture, he spoke the Jewish language and conveyed the gospel in their context in a way that they could relate to and understand best. The seed of the gospel comes in because of the love that motivates it, it comes in the most understandable and accessible way possible. Okay, um, so that's how the gospel came to them. So what is this gospel that came to them? Okay, he, he talks about the, the true, he talks about the word of truth, the gospel. Okay, so you can, literally in the Greek, it's the word of the truth of the gospel. The, tr- the word with their word, logos, can mean word or message. And I think in this context, probably message is a better translation. So what he's talking about is the true message of the gospel. Now, let me just mention this. That implies that there is such a thing as truth. Okay? Now, our culture doubts that. Our culture says, no, there's just your truth and my truth. There's just subjective truth. There's no objective truth. That's not what Paul says. Paul says there's one truth, the truth. 
Not a truth, the truth of the gospel. Okay? And, you know, many people say we live in a post-truth society, a society that, to some extent at least, has started rejecting truth. Even, not just truths, but the concept of absolute truth is being rejected. And if we want to cling to the Bible and to the gospel particularly, we cannot throw away truth. Because if you throw away truth, you throw away the gospel. Because the gospel is the truth. It's the true message of the gospel. But what is this true message of the gospel? Firstly, it's a message. The gospel is a true message. In other words, it contains information. And, and we see that in how people respond to it. They said that you heard the gospel. It's a message that you need to hear. The word gospel literally means good news. It's a good news message. Okay, so you've probably all heard the saying that is supposedly attributed to St. Francis of Assisi where it says, um, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Now, firstly, St. Francis didn't say that, just for the record. Secondly, if he had said that, he would have been wrong because the gospel is a message. You cannot preach it without words. It's irreducibly a message. Okay? Yes, of course, our lives must line up with the gospel. But we cannot just live and think people will hear the gospel. It's, a, it's something that you must testify to. It's something that you must share. And, and, and I want to really encourage you, uh, like Izan and them were saying, come, come to share to, on the 22nd of, um, of, of July. Register for it on, on Linktree and come and, and, and just learn some of, uh, you know, if you're not confident in that yet, come and learn how to share your testimony. Come and learn how to share the gospel. Come and, come and be equipped better to do it. Um, and, and not just for, um, you know, colleagues and friends out there, but also for, for one another in our families. We must learn to share the, the gospel with one another. So it's a message that contains information. You need to hear it and you need to understand it. You need to grasp it mentally. So in other words, you know... Um, So, because the gospel is more than just a message, more than just information, you know, sometimes we as, especially Pentecostal charismatic Christians, we tend to be sort of anti-intellectual, anti-information, and say, no, the gospel is not information, it's transformation. (laughs) But you cannot have any transformation without information. It's not one or the other, it's both. It's information that leads to transformation. Okay? So, um... Let's, let's not forget that the gospel is fundamentally, first and foremost, a message, information that needs to be conveyed, that needs to be transferred. Okay? Um, but then secondly, he says the gospel is um, bearing fruit and increasing. He's using a metaphor there. What bears fruit? What increases through bearing fruit? Plants, right? Plants that are fruit-bearing. So he's using an agricultural metaphor here and saying that the gospel is a seed. It's not just a message. It's not just, you know, dead information. It's a seed that contains life, that can grow, that can bear fruit, and that can multiply and increase. It's a living seed. Now, a seed, if you have a handful of seeds, they actually look dead, don't they? You can put them on a rack for years, They don't need any food. 
They don't need any water. They just lie there. They seem dead. But if you take that handful of seeds and you chuck them into moist soil, all of a sudden, those things, those seeds that seem dead, start germinating. That seed starts coming alive and growing and eventually becomes a plant that bears fruit that contains more seed that if it falls into the right soil will also start germinating and growing and bear more fruit and increasing, multiplying. So, so the, this gospel message is, is not just a, a message, it's, it's a living seed that bears fruit and increases. And then he also specifically says, um, let me just read that to you. He talks about, thirdly, the gospel as the grace of God. Um, in verse 5 he says, Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this hope you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which came to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it does as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Since the day you truly understood the grace of God. So in other words, the grace of God is fundamental to the gospel because he actually uses grace of God here as a synonym for the gospel. He says when you understood the, the, the gospel, you actually understood the grace of God. So what is the grace of God? What is grace? You see, there are two ways in which you can acquire something. The first way is by paying for it, purchasing it. In other words, you've worked and you've earned money, and the money you've earned you use to purchase that something. The other way is that someone else purchases it for you and gives it to you for free. In, in that case, you don't pay for it. You get it for free as a gift. And that is the difference between grace and works. Works, you earn it. You deserve it. Grace, you don't deserve it. You don't earn it. You're given it as a free gift. And, and Paul is saying here that fundamental to the gospel is that it is the grace of God. It is a free gift. It is something you don't earn and that means that someone else earned it for you and we know that on the cross is where Jesus earned for us what we couldn't earn for ourselves you see God is a perfect God he cannot bless he cannot have favor on those who do not perfectly obey him. It's not good enough to keep some of the laws some of the time. I mean, if, you, if you're going to earn, if you decide, I'm going to earn God's favor, I'm going to earn God's goodness, I'm going to earn God's good graces, I'm going to earn it, I'm going to deserve it. It's not good enough if you then keep some of the laws some of the time, or even most of the laws most of the times. You've got to keep all of the laws all of the time, otherwise you don't deserve it. Is there any one of us that can do that? In the history of mankind, there's no one, who, there's been no one who could keep all of the laws all of the time. No one except Jesus, who lived the perfect life. 
and deserved for us. So he lived the perfect life that deserved God's blessing. And then he died an innocent death, the death that we deserved in our place. So that we can receive what he deserved because he received what we deserved. Can you see how it works? Um, So the grace of God is that God freely gives us what we cannot deserve. And, And that means that no one, none of us can boast and put up my hand and say, Oh, I'm better than anyone else. I've deserved God's favor. I've deserved God's blessing. It's a free gift. It's not cheap because Jesus had to pay very dearly for it, but it is free to us. And that, that causes us both to be very humble because we didn't deserve what we receive, but also very confident because if I didn't earn it, I cannot unearn it. <laughs> I didn't deserve it in the first place. So if you earn something, if you feel you've earned God's blessing, then you have to feel like you have to keep up that good behavior to keep on deserving it. But when you receive it for free, you say in your heart, God loves me so much and Jesus paid so much for me. I want to keep obeying him, not in order to deserve it, and I don't feel insecure when I don't live up to, you know, what I want to do to please God. Because I know I, I've, I've received it for free. It's a gift. But I do it because I want to do it. Because God already accepts me. I don't, I don't obey him in order to be accepted. I obey him because I'm already accepted. And it changes everything. And that's the difference between religion and the gospel. Religion says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. The gospel said, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. Because of the grace of God. Okay, so the gospel is a message, it's a seed, but it's also the grace of God. And then finally, the gospel is a promise. It says, you know, the the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard in the gospel. What are you hoping? um, I don't know if I put it up there, but... In, in Hebrews 10, verse 23, Paul, or the writer of the Hebrews, to the Hebrews, talks about hoping in the promises of God. When you are promised something, you're saying, this is what you will be given, then you, it, it brings hope into your heart, and you hope for that thing that you are promised. And the gospel is inherently a promise. It's a promise that God will continue treating you the way Jesus deserves to be treated. And that God will continue giving you what Jesus deserves. And ultimately, that he'll give you the eternal life that Jesus deserves. That is the promise of the gospel. And that is what we can then hope in. The gospel is a a promise. It's, It's a good news promise. Now, here comes the big question. How do we know the gospel has come to us? How do you know that the gospel has come to you? I I remember hearing a story, you know, um, the guys who started the Methodist church, John and Charles Wesley, and they were part of a group of Anglicans, you know, because the Methodist church grew out of the Anglican church, who... um, were very serious about God, and they were seriously seeking God, and they often came together to study the Word together. Um, and, and one of the guys, um, 
can't remember his name. His surname was Holland. He was one of those. And they, they all wrote down diaries of what happened, you know, during that time. So we have the records of it. And this guy, Holland, was given a, a, a commentary, Martin Luther's commentary on the book of Galatians. And he asked these guys, amongst them Charles Wesley, actually gave the book to Charles Wesley and said, as part of our Bible study, why don't you start reading this for us? And as Charles Wesley was reading this, all of a sudden, and, and, and uh, this Holland guy records it in his, in his diary, he says, all of a sudden, the gospel made sense to me. And I realized that there's nothing that I can do to deserve God's grace. I must just freely receive it by faith in what Jesus has done and deserved for me. And all of a sudden, and, 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 and he started responding very emotionally and repenting and you know, confessing his faith in Jesus. And the other guys around you know, sort of saw this. And, and Charles Wesley that evening, he, he was the one reading this. He, he records in his diary, um, you know, Holland received the gospel, but I didn't. It didn't make sense to me. It, the penny didn't drop. It, it just didn't drop. And then a couple of days later, literally, I think three or four days later, um, Charles Wesley, who wrote a, um, a few amazing hymns, you know, uh, he, he wrote, you know, finally the penny dropped. I, I got it. I, the gospel came to me. I, I didn't just hear it, but I truly understood God's grace. And his life changed. And, and him and his brother... Um, you know, planted so many churches, you know, and, and started a movement that spread all across the world. So how do you know that has happened to you? Well, this passage actually gives us quite a lot. Um, basically, what, it, what it's saying is, if you truly understand the true gospel, there's certain fruit that it will be in your life. So here's some of the fruit, okay? Firstly, the fruit is, there's visible fruit, there's observable fruit. Um, in, in verse 3 onwards, he says, Paul says, We give thanks to you always when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith, love, and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. How did Paul hear of it? Because Epaphras and those guys observed the fruit of the gospel in the lives of the Colossians, and they went to tell Paul and Timothy and the guys about it. It's visible fruit. It's faith, hope, and love. It's part of the fruit of the gospel. But it's visible. It's not just a subjective feeling of faith or hope or, what, of, or love in your heart. It's a visible fruit. Okay? Secondly, and, 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 and you know, all of, all of these fruits are, are, are really challenging, um, at least to me. I hope, I hope they're challenging to you too. <laughs> Because, um, you know, this is, this is how we test whether we really, truly understood the true gospel. Um, he says, it's been bearing fruit in your life since the day you heard it. At the moment you truly understand the true gospel, it immediately starts bearing fruit in your life. It immediately changes your life. If there's not immediate change then you either ha haven't truly understood or it's not a true gospel. But it immediately, since the day you heard it, it started bearing fruit in your life. Okay? And then, 
Notice it says since the day. It's been bearing fruit in your life since the day. In other words, it didn't just start bearing fruit and then stop. It continually bore fruit. So it's not just immediate fruit bearing. It's continual fruit bearing. Which which means if you truly understand the true gospel and you like, you know, Paul says to people who already know the gospel and, and, and sort of leads them through his letter to meditate more on the gospel. If you continue meditating and then truly understanding, even at a deeper level, the true gospel, it continues to bear fruit in your life more and more. Now, now let me just ask you a question here. Who of you want to grow? Who of you want to bear fruit? Who of you want your life to change? Surely all of us do, Right? And Paul is telling us what the key is here. You need to truly understand the true gospel. Then you will bear fruit. There will be fruit in your life. There will be growth and increase in your life. Okay? And then he says, not only is it bearing fruit, but it's increasing. And, And that increasing is on two levels. In other words, the fruit that it bears in your life, in terms of, say, faith, hope, and love, and that kind of stuff, is progressive. The fruit that the, that the gospel bears in your life is not all at once. It's not like it, all the fruit you're ever going to have comes immediately at the beginning and then it just stays there. It's progressive. You grow in your faith. You grow in your love. You grow in the fruit of the Spirit. You grow in your character. There's a progression. So if you're thinking, ooh, you know, I'm far from perfect, um, that doesn't mean that the gospel has not come to you. As long as there's growth, there's progression. You're not perfect, but there's progression, there's growth. Okay? But the increase is not just progression in your life personally. The increase is also more people. I, when you truly understand the true gospel, you cannot keep it to yourself. The, the, the true gospel is a multi-generational gospel. We see it came from Paul... To Epaphras, to the Colossians. The, the increase is not just that you'll grow personally, but that the gospel will spread through you to other people and they will grow. So not only will you bear more fruit, but more people will experience the fruit of the gospel. So the gospel increases. And, and you know, if you, if you think about a fruit, fruit is not just something that grows from a seed. But fruit is also something that contains a seed. You've probably heard the saying, um, you can count the seeds in the orange, but you cannot count the oranges in a seed. Right? And it's the same with the gospel. The fruit that you bear in the gospel contains the seed. When other people eat that fruit, the seed comes into them. And then they start bearing fruit, which contains more seed, etc. And it leads to increase. Um, but then right at the end, it also says um, that, oh, I almost missed that one, global. It, it says the gospel has been bearing fruit. This true gospel has been bearing fruit all across the world. Think about that for a moment. You get false gospels, and false gospels will often bear fruit in one circumstance or in one culture, be very good at reaching, reaching certain people, but not be very good at reaching all people. But the true gospel bears fruit all across the world. No matter where it comes, no matter what culture, no matter what context, the seed 
falls in, it always bears fruit. It's a global gospel. It's a universal gospel. It's a worldwide gospel. There's one gospel that bears fruit in every um, circumstance. And then he says, uh, right at the end, he talks about your, um, your love in the Spirit. Now, I, I'm probably going to have to do another um, session on, on the Holy Spirit, uh, but I just want to mention it here. Because he, he says that the gospel you heard in the gospel, the promise that, you know, of the hope laid up for you in heaven. And this led to your faith and love. But here he makes it clear um, at the end, in verse 8, the end of verse 8, he says, your love in the Spirit, that that love, yes, it came through the gospel, but it also came through the Spirit. In other words, the gospel only works through the Spirit. It's, it's like, you know, if you can just maybe bring up that seed, that picture of the seed again. That seed will lay there dormant until you water it. When it comes into contact with water, that's when it germinates and starts growing. And the gospel is the same. Someone can hear the gospel, but if the living water of the Spirit doesn't moisten that gospel seed, it will not grow. But if the Holy Spirit moistens that gospel seed, it will grow. And all the fruit of the I mean, Paul just uses here your love in the Spirit. He just uses love as a convenient way to summarize all the fruit of the Spirit, all the fruit of the gospel. He says all the fruit of the gospel is through the Spirit. So it's Spirit fruit um, that grows. Then, just two last things, and I, and I want to um, finish off with this. Um, this. By implication, if you go and read on from verse 9 especially, this fruit also comes through prayer. Because Paul says that, the gospel is, has been and is bearing this fruit in your life. And then he prays for more of the same fruit. Spiritual wisdom and understanding that comes through the Spirit. That you may please God. That you may live lives worthy of Him. So he's praying for more. So in other words, this fruit comes through prayer. It means that what the Spirit and what the gospel does in our lives doesn't operate apart from us. God uses our prayers. And even our efforts to establish this fruit in our lives. Okay? And then the final thing I just want to mention about this fruit is, um, notice that in verse 3 Paul says we always give thanks. And then he mentions the things that he gives thanks for. And one of the things that he gives thanks for, for is the fact that the gospel is bearing fruit in their lives. In other words, it's God who's bearing this fruit through the gospel. And, and one of the fruits is thankfulness. When you truly understand the true gospel, it will make you very thankful. <laughs> you'll be very grateful because you'll realize how blessed and how great the gift is that is given to you, how much it cost the one who gave it, and how good he was to give it to you. It'll make you so grateful. It'll make you so thankful. So, if we're not bearing fruit, we're either not, we don't have the true gospel or we haven't truly understood it. But if you truly understand the true message of the gospel, it will bear fruit in your life. Now, on the one hand, that's a test. On the one hand, that's a test for us. Has the gospel really come to us? To what, understand, to what extent are we 
being diligent to truly understand the true gospel. But on the other, on the other hand, it's also an invitation. Because if the gospel should do all of these things, can and should do all of these things in your life, then it's an, also an invitation that says, come, truly understand the true gospel so it can bear more fruit in your life. Allow God through his Holy Spirit to activate the gospel in your life so it bears more fruit. So when you, if you're looking at the fruit and saying, yes, it's there, but it's not there as much as I'd like it to be, then there's also an invitation to say, come and pray. Come and revisit the gospel again. Meditate on the gospel again. Learn the gospel again. Understand the gospel more. Truly understand it deeper so it can bear more fruit in your life. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.